0: If you had the chance, would you change the world?
1: Welcome. I am your host, Ebony Gustav, and this is Cooperative Journal, where I interview mutual aid initiatives and cooperatives from around the world who are creating alternatives to our current economic system. St. Louis Mutual Aid is based in St. Louis, Missouri, And they are a network of organizers, healers, artists, community leaders, and everyday people coming together to deliver food and supplies, provide financial solidarity, offer emotional support, and ultimately connect people to their neighbors. In this episode, I speak with members Marcus Hunt, Julia Ho, and Carmen Ward, about how St. Louis Mutual Aid has built a robust network of care in their community throughout the pandemic. We speak about how mutual aid can be used to introduce people to the solidarity economy, peer to peer learning between cooperatives and mutual aid initiatives, taking a holistic approach to fulfilling needs, resources of support offered including their No Strings Attached Financial Solidarity Fund, how to make the distinction between mutual aid and charity, and so much more. Thank you so much, Carmen, Marcus, and Julia for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to learning about St. Louis Mutual Aid and what sparked the creation of it. I know that you guys started during the pandemic and I would love to learn how you developed the support network to create and sustain it. And if you could share a little bit about the journey from its inception. Um, I can speak to the creation piece, and then I would love for Marcus or Carmen to
2: kind of talk about the sustaining piece, because those are two very different things, like creating something and sustaining it <laughs> are two very um, different efforts. Um, but I, uh, so my name is Julia Ho, and I'm, I'm the founder of a network called Solidarity Economy St. Louis, which has been around for um, pretty much since about 2015. And even before that, um, you know, a lot of the people that formed and kind of came together at the beginning of St. Louis Mutual Aid were people who were active during the Ferguson uprising when Michael Brown was killed here. Um, And so I think even though these are two very different moments of crisis, they still um, created a need for people to connect in different ways and to be in movement together. So a lot of my um, relationships and a lot of the relationships that formed Mutual Aid at the beginning actually came from these two different places of like people who were engaged in the solidarity economy and people who were um, healers. Um, there was a black healers collective that was involved. There were, um, you know, people who were doing queer and trans mutual aid. Um, and then there were also people who were who were knew each other from Ferguson. So all of those kind of forces, um, I would say it was like people seeing a need to both um, make sure that people who were gonna fall through the cracks of like traditional systems were still being supported, but also give everyday people a chance to do something and feel less powerless. Um, Those were, I think the two main like motivations behind the beginning of mutual aid. Um, And then, yeah, and then it's just kind of like, it just grew and had a life of its own. And um, what's really beautiful about this sort of phase that we're in now is that the people who have come into mutual aid, maybe with a need or not knowing anything about, you know, um, mutual aid or the solidarity economy are in the positions now to help lead and shape where we go. And I think that's kind of like where, um, that's where the big vision is, right? Is like, how do you take this way of meeting people's needs now and then use it to jumpstart um, a different way of actually like creating a new system and of like living it out and trying things that other people aren't willing to try. Um, and I think mutual aid has become that for a lot of people as like a community where folks can feel supported in different ways, but also where they can engage and grow and learn politically, you know, um, and and actually put their values into practice. So that's my perspective on that.
3: When we talk about sustainability, Ebony, I'm Carmen. Um, I am a new business owner, I started a consulting and coaching business becoming Carmen LLC. Some of it is because of mutual aid. So when we talk about the inception of mutual aid, it was born out of crisis. And now as we're going into year two, we're shifting from surviving to thriving. We're shifting out of crisis. So that's where your sustainability comes in. And then we also know like I'm a black woman and I live in an oppressed community. We also know that there are trust issues. We have real issues that go beyond just um, giving people food. So how do we really reimagine and center what's important and build those relationships that will change your life and not just give you some food for today? I always like to tell Julia, you know, we're not just gonna give people fish. We're going to teach them how to fish. So out of that, you know, I've established my business. But when we talk about sustainability, we have to look at the whole person. Is your mental health strong? You know, um, do you have the financial literacy that you need? Do you have the parenting skills that you need? What are you missing? And mutual aid wraps around people and hold them in the gap. We have doctors. We have lawyers. We have therapists. And then you have people just like Carmen that have lived it. I was a I was, I was ward of the foster care system. I was a victim of, of, of physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. So being able to tell those stories of how I went through, I didn't stop, keyword, I went through, and you can go through too and come out and thrive. So we now reimagine what reparations look like. There are ways that people that are Caucasian can pull up, as I like to say, and really help people change the game. And when you empower a person to heal in those areas where they would never tell somebody, that is the critical piece. So even as I sit here before this podcast started like i was offered a job yesterday and i need to determine do i take the job or do i stay in my power my essence where my passion is and continue to move the needle knowing that my needs will be met or do i go back in a in a community that historically has made me sick is it would that be sustainable and if i do go back making sure my network, my circle, my mutual aid family is there because Carmen is now sustained and I will continue to be sustained because I have a collective that loved me back to life. So that's the sustaining uh, piece of it. That's going from just surviving, just from crisis to thriving.
1: Oh, so good.
0: So good. Marcus, did you want to add anything to that? Um. So how it got started and uh, where we're at now and how it's going to be sustainable, that's the thing that I'm good at. That's the thing that I've done a bunch of times because I'm a general poverty fighter and I do disaster response. So that's what we do is we respond to disaster, make sure everything is okay. Then we make sure you don't ever have to go through that again. But this time... We're going to make sure that these uh, bloated systems don't have any bearing in getting the job done. And that's the big difference. Is there's so much financial waste in the way that people have to be helped. And then there's so many barriers in the way that people have to be helped that it doesn't make any sense. That's one of the huge systemic problems we're dealing with. A lot of the, a lot of the problems that people are having is they're so beaten down and they can't wait to jump through hoops. And one of the main things that we're pushing and explaining to people is it's zero barrier service. You don't have to wait for anyone else. You can do your little bit of your part, and if you can just plug into the system, even if, if if all you can do is bake pies, we'll find a way to make sure that that works. And that's what it is for mutual aid. It doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter what you know how to do. Everybody is special, and everyone can contribute to society and make sure that no one has to suffer. And it's that simple.
1: Thank you so much y'all yeah wow it's something that i try to understand myself is like okay how do i get the average person interested in solidarity economics even that word is um very jargony and a lot of people don't know except for in this niche group and I feel like the way like what you were saying Julia is through mutual aid because then people start to shift their perspectives they're like like bringing back Marsh into the conversation again wow I'm able to get local organic produce on a sliding scale why do I go to the grocery store and I have to pay so much money for this why is this not accessible to all why has this become an elitist thing um when we think about uh access to medicine too like what i was saying earlier just putting out a free herbal medicine cabinet that makes people think wow why is this medicine so expensive when mother earth gives us an abundance of it why is this being commodified and then i think you can bring people into questioning like what you were saying carmen wow, now I'm like, I got this job which can fulfill my financial needs, but is it going to fulfill my overall well-being? Am I going to have to compromise my values and my emotional and physical wellness for this? Or do I continue doing what really makes me thrive and um, where I see immediate uh, reciprocity? Uh, So... I really appreciate that because I, I try to figure out how we can bring more people that feel hopeless and that have no idea that these alternative systems exist. How do we bring them into that and make them feel passionate? Um, and I think yeah. it's just it's by doing
2: one of the you know, most beautiful things about mutual aid is that it's new and old at the same time. You know and so while this is while there are things that we are doing that are new and maybe never have been done before in this area, there's also so much um, history and tradition and like every single group of people across the entire world has engaged in mutual aid at some point. And so regardless of who you are, there is some connection to, um, you know, where you come from and your background of like where you know mutual aid. And so I really like to, have people think about that and, like, realize that whether it's solidarity, mutual aid, like, everybody does this anyway, Um, it's just that it's invisibilized, like, the things that you do to care for your neighbor, whether you're a caregiver, a parent, you know, maybe you're taking care of a, of a, um, and, you know, of your parent, of your parents, or you're um, supporting other people's kids in your neighborhood, or your, whatever it is that you're doing, like, you are already engaged in mutual aid. This is just a way of bringing it to the surface and and helping us grow it and make it bigger. Um, and so like one, one example that comes to mind is we have a, a caller who is like a volunteer. He makes a lot of phone calls to um, to people who leave voicemails for us. And he was talking to somebody about um, a caller who was, who was calling to ask about some financial help. And um, they told, you know, he was like, we always ask people like, okay, are you able to like help deliver or help, like, you know, come to uh, support some of the work that we're doing. And this person was like, no, I'm not really able to do that because like, I'm taking care of um, an elder in my community. I'm taking care of somebody in my family. And one of the, the thing that the volunteer said to me was was really beautiful was like, actually, this person is like engaged in more mutual aid than I am on a, on a everyday basis because of like what they're doing to care for their family. And so I think that's just really important is that like mutual aid and your ability to do it is not determined by an organization or any group of people or anything. It's simply a practice that humans do naturally that, um, we are trying to promote and make it easier for people to do.
3: Ooh, that was good, Julia. And as you said that I was even thinking about like love ministries, like we went out to do a back-to-school blast that another just mutual aid member invited us to and unbeknownst to us, this pastor said, we want a pantry, we want our own pantry. And we just started delivering them boxes of food. And now they're starting to stimulate the Walnut Park community. I don't know if you're familiar with Walnut Park, but if you pull it up, you're gonna be like, oh my goodness. So now we're stimulating that community, and now not only are we taking food, now we're taking toiletry bags, and then we're going to bring them into St. Louis Mutual Aid, but guess what? They get to stay right there at 57, 575 Davidson, and the, the, the support comes to them, and it all came because we showed up at a back-to-school blast, and then they said they needed something. They don't have a clue of what Mutual Aid is what it does they just know that one of their members at their church had access to something that they needed that's mutual aid
1: yes absolutely uh getting each other's needs met is the premise of it and like you said Julia we've been doing this forever and only now is there being a term coined with it and mm-hmm. That's also fine because hopefully it's allowing people to see how they can implement this in more parts of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just like continuing that gift of giving too, I think, is what Mutual Aid allows the platform for. So if somebody gives you a meal, you're like, okay, maybe I can give back to someone or something in another aspect of my life. Uh, So it starts to shift thinking of like, how can I give more? If I've been blessed so much, how can I continue the blessings?
3: Yeah.
0: So for me, I don't know if this is pertinent, but I have to explain to people, you know, in high poverty, that understand scarcity mind state, that it's natural to want to help people. You have to be taught to be selfish and that everyone has something to give. What I've been telling them recently is that even the Neanderthal, the caveman, took care of their elderly after they outlived their their usefulness. And it's the same thing. It's like, when I was young and I couldn't do for myself, you fed me. Nothing's making me do this for you, but I know inherently that I should, and it feels good, too.
1: And that also speaks to how in different parts of, in different times of our life journey, we need mutual aid in different ways. And... So now that people have this concept of an alternative economy and shifting their perspective of like things are not working through being a part of a mutual aid network, uh, then they start to think, okay, well, how can I invest in a different economy? How can I be a part of another one? And so Julia you had started the solidarity economy St. Louis a few years ago. And so I'd love to know how you feel like that is contributing to people um, having access to different ways to be a part of an alternative system. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I feel like the solid
2: solidarity economy is designed for helping us weave all the things that we do into a system together. Um, And mutual aid is designed to help us grow. Like how do we, how do we engage new people? How do we get new ideas? How do we like make mistakes and learn from them and change our way that we relate to each other? Um, And there's a lot of overlap, but there's also, um, that's one of the kind of like projects or one of the things that we need to into as we're sustaining mutual aid is to make those things relate to each other so one example of that is um there were people in the solidarity economy st louis network who are already in like worker cooperatives or who are there's even one person who's like a co-op lawyer right um and she's not necessarily connected to mutual aid but there was a person in mutual aid who was a grad student and who did her whole thesis on like cooperative ecosystems in St. Louis and how you can like support them and what kind of like technical support do people need to start a cooperative. So what happened was that the person in mutual aid was like, I want to start a working group where we talk about cooperatives. And then that brought in people from the Solidarity Economy Network who already had experience, expertise, knowledge to offer, and people in mutual aid who knew nothing about cooperatives, but were like, this sounds interesting. And so what you have is like a group of people talking together from both kind of both perspectives and from really different, like levels of knowledge about this topic, actually thinking about like, okay, how do we make this possible? And then what we we talked about was like, well, we need to implement this within our own group. You know, we have mutual aid and we've grown so much. How do we take these cooperative values and principles and apply them to us? So I think there's like different levels of, um, kind of like what Carmen said, like everybody has their individual expertise, their knowledge, their wisdom that they can bring to the table. And I think how how do we take the, the value of people's experiences and combine it with the expertise of people who like think about this stuff all the time, all day, every day. And when you put those two things together, you can come up with like some really amazing solutions and really amazing systems. And I think that's where like the sweet spot of mutual aid is. It's like, how can we get those kinds of um, sort of like sparks to happen on a regular basis?
1: No, I really appreciate that. That's Because then people that are now being introduced to these mutual aid networks and they're building relationships and they start to having conversations with each other like, well, this isn't working. What can we do about it? And then you have access to people that have been doing this work of answering that question of what can we do about it, putting them together. Then we're literally creating the new infrastructure that we really want and need. So I love that having working groups between mutual aid networks and cooperatives?
3: There's also an education. Like, I don't know what I don't know, Ebony. Mutual aid is a safe place to say what you don't know. Like, I knew I went to this cooperative meeting. I know that I wanna reimagine what community looks like and how money is used and all of that. But when you start talking economics and using them words like, over my head, but I say this to say, mutual aid is a safe place to say, I don't know what that means. Slow down, break it down, reteach me. I didn't get it Still, say it again, repeat it again until it clicks. So when you have people again from oppressed communities like mine, that maybe didn't go to college, maybe didn't graduate high school, maybe don't know how to read, there's still a place for them here where they're accepted, they're valued, and they're educated. Don't matter. It don't matter. You are still loved and have an opportunity here. And I wanna make sure that that's captured too.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that's really important that you pointed that out because. In cooperative spaces, it can be very jargony and hard to understand for somebody that's outside of that world. And so I think it's helpful for them to connect to mutual aid initiatives too, because if they're trying to do these cooperative systems on a mass scale, how do you translate that language to the average person so that it is digestible and it's something that they can understand and not just for people that study this in their everyday lives? Well, and there's so many things that
2: people have to see it to believe it, right? Like, you can explain something to somebody a thousand times, but they won't really get it until they experience it or see it for themselves. And that happens with mutual aid all the time. Like, we can explain mutual aid ad nauseum to, like, people. But for, like, everybody that we have that's, like, actually part of mutual aid and, like, very um, involved, there was, like, a moment for them where things clicked. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they were in a space with other people, they were doing something active and they were like, Oh, I get it now. Like it makes sense. And that's, you know, kind of what Marcus was saying is like, sometimes you just got to do stuff and by doing things, you'll, things will start to make sense, you know? Um, And so how do we like create space where people can learn, but also recognize that people learn in different ways. Some people learn from sitting and reading a book, but a lot of people learn just from being active and like doing something.
1: Hmm. Definitely, it has to be
0: experienced. A lot, a lot of what I feel like my task is going forward is explaining the uh what mutualite is to people that hold the ranch and then to people that do charts and graphs, and then the people that know people. It's really the same thing. Is just people don't understand how they fit together, I guess, and it's hard for me to even articulate it. But I know, like, I'm strong where I'm strong. And then where I'm weak, that's where Julia will help me. That's where Carmen will help me. And if we all have a unified goal and we all understand what we're trying to do, then we will be successful.
1: Yes. Everyone has a role. No matter what education level, what age you are, uh, everyone is really needed and has their strengths. And so... When you guys decided to, or Julia, when you and whoever created the STL Mutual Aid decided to go on with this, what were the immediate needs that you felt like there was a void in meeting in your community that you wanted to fulfill? Hmm. Good
2: question. I mean it's kind of everything, like it's hard to even pin down like what it was specifically. It's more so like, um, you know, the biggest difference between one of the, not I won't say the biggest difference, but one of the most obvious differences between mutual aid and sort of what people think of traditionally as like services is that there are no restrictions, right? Um, and the, the really difficult thing for a lot of people, you know, even right now, because things haven't really gotten any better, is that um, in order to get help, they have to jump through all these hoops, and they have to have certain levels of identification or understanding of you know how to fill out an application, or access to the internet, or money, or like whatever it is. Um, and so, the thought of just being able to ask people what they need, you know, to like actually not say like, okay, we know that people need this. I mean, obviously, you know, people needed money and people needed help to people needed food, right? Those are two basic things. But um, the the beauty of mutual aid is that people can ask for anything, you know what I mean? Like people can ask for emotional support, people can ask for clothing, people can ask for recommendations of, you know, places to stay or help with finding housing or just help like navigating some of these like really bureaucratic systems. So, so I think the the beginning part of it was just like, how do we create a structure for that to happen? Like, it's not really about us doing all of that and taking care of everybody's need. It's like, how do we create a container for people to um, be empowered to do that on their own? Like, there's no reason why people need to ask for permission to do mutual aid. Like, people should just be out there doing it. But, you know, not everybody is aware that that's something that is within their control or within their power. So it's our job to encourage people to kind of take that agency on their own. Um, But I think the part, you know, again, like the point where it sort of was like, if all that mutual aid was gonna do is provide crisis support, you know, then basically there wouldn't really be a need for us to continue after this immediate crisis is over, which who knows when that'll be. But if the goal of mutual aid is to actually like change society, which I think it is, Um, then there is a need to sustain it and to help it like level up and get to that next level and empower people who've gone through that first level of like meeting their needs to, to like reimagining everything. And I think that's kind of where I was like, I don't know if mutual aid is going to be useful beyond a year or two, you know, and then what, and then people were like, we want to keep doing this. Right. So that's like where I, I, I get to actually like take a step back and be like, okay, like, what do you think we should do? Let's do it. You know?
0: Mm. So
3: one of the things, I'll go ahead, Marcus.
0: Oh, I'm learning as much as I'm uh, speaking. Don't mind me.
3: Um, what I was going to say, Ebony, the reason why I can say it has to uh, continue, because now what you have is people who have benefited from mutual aid. Like, I'm a double-degree educated woman. Let's be clear. But because I didn't heal from things when I was five, when I was six, when I had no control, see, that's when people told you what to do. I made decisions when I was 12 and 13, when I came into decision-making and then they were the wrong decisions. And then those things led to me just going down a road that was just bad. But when I came into the intersection and I'm going to use our word and really began to dream, and then I met mutual aid, it was like a halo almost of you're safe now. Like I got offered a great opportunity and my decision is, is it worth it if they're going to risk my mental health? But also even, even knowing that mutual aid is holding me, if I go that way, do I even wanna gamble when I've gotten so healthy? I'm going somewhere th- with this and I'm going to land this plane. It is imperative for mutual aid to continue because you have dreamers all through mutual aid. You have you have business owners, you have singers, you have doctors, you have lawyers, you have herbalists. This is the opportunity to keep that shit from going to the grave. We have it. We have every freaking thing answer that we need so part two is again mutual aid solve the crisis they pulled up now how do you take what is the band-aid that we put on it because COVID showed us that we were hemorrhaging so now we're just p- peeling it off and now we're going to real surgery we're getting ready to do real triage we're getting ready to do the real stuff so that Roberta, Roscalina, Roro, Mookie, Pookie, can actually activate those things that people told them it would never happen. So if that means you need counseling, therapy, I don't know what it is. You can get it, but you will not stay where you're at. And I think you can tell that just by this conversation. If you pull up to Carmen and Mutual Aid, you won't be the same. You can't be. And your dream has to be activated. It's needed.
0: Generally, the way I explain what Mutual Aid did for me is just like that. I went from being reactionary to how can we fix this? How can we keep this from happening again? How can we sterilize this festering wound? How can we close it? And a lot of it is when you do do professional poverty fighting work and you talk solutions, the funding says no. And it's systemic. So 90% of the work I've ever done, I've had to do two times as much work to get permission to do it on the back end. This is the first time in my life where i'm asking people like well can we educate people this way they're like try it see if it works that's so freeing that makes you able to build that makes you able to even like the way you see the world personally changes to what's possible and that's something that i feel like everybody needs to get a taste of everybody needs to have a part of that
1: yes marcus it's like it's that not waiting for permission um to get things done but realizing that a lot of what we need to get done we can do with each other and this crisis that we're in and have been in and even before the pandemic like these are ongoing crises. um like what you were saying julie it's like what wasn't there a need for this um now that people's needs are being met, you can't just you can't just stop it. And people, and now that the foundation has been laid and they've noticed that their needs can be met through this uh, mutual aid network, then they end up being more participatory and offering new ideas and ways that things can improve and um, and really sustaining it. I think it can be sustained just through the
0: people. (laughs) Motivated people have to be stopped once they're equipped with resources and knowledge. And that's what it is. It's not like somebody please allow me the opportunity to do this. Somebody please give me the resources to fix my community. Once we give the people in the community the resources, Then it becomes okay what are the problems stopping us now and that's a far easier position than trying to inspire people who don't think that it's possible and that's how i look at things
3: come on marcus i love you bro (laughs) yes
1: and since you started speaking about resources what kinds of resources does st louis mutual aid offer to the community
0: I don't even know how to articulate and encapsulate it, but I would say that if you were to look and think about the most hierarchy of needs, that's your food, clothing, your basic stuff. But on top of that, it's an avenue for people to deal with their generational traumas and get plugged into a way that will enhance their understanding of their life and finances in general. I'm going to
3: add to what Marcus is saying, now that we're going from surviving to thriving, I would say we offer a holistic approach of support um we have coaches and coaching services we have therapists within our community um we're offering one-on-one um just peer counseling just um relationship building we're having entrepreneurship coaches coming in supporting people transformation shift coaching supporting people we have brought in an operations expert that's helping us rebuild and reimagine how We're even moving this year. Um, We have food. We have access to medical care for people. We give people rides to transportation. Um, This warehouse is massive, enormous. So we have people now that will be coming in, using this space for events. We have clothing here. Um, Marcus is now pushing out once a week, um, supporting the out- unhoused community with um, hand, uh, ready-made uh, bags with toiletries, everything that you can think of. But again, you know, as I think about how to answer that question and give you all the right words, I start to get tongue tied. But what, I don't think that there's nothing that people can't come to mutual aid and access um, at this very moment. Am I missing some, Julia? um I feel like the going back to the kind of like
2: emotional and community component right it's like what mutual aid offers that I think is the most important is like this feeling that you're not alone right Mm -hmm. um and I and I, I talk to Carmen about this all the time like so many of the people who come to mutual aid tell us like that they don't have a support system like they don't have a family who's gonna do the things that a family would typically do for you they don't have like you know, um, people that are their support system. And I think the most important thing that Mutual Aid offers is just like that family and that like support system to to help, you know, just an understanding, like even whenever we don't know right away, like you ask us for something and maybe we don't have it, but we'll listen to you and we'll understand what you're saying and we'll say, we'll do our best to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's something that is so valuable to people, especially who are used to dealing with, um, you know, like, rejection and used to dealing with like, oh, okay, well, you know, prove to us that you need this help in order for us to to help you. So that just that, like, it's the mindset more than anything of like, and then, you know, what the other thing that to this warehouse thing is that there are so many people in the community who already are doing mutual aid all the time. They're just doing it alone, like Shayna, right? Mm -hmm. Like Shayna is an amazing force. And she's like, kind of a one-woman show, like is just out here doing everything that she can. Um, And how do we keep supporting people like her to continue to do what she does, but to do it in community with people and to feel like she's being supported? Um, That's something I'm starting to realize a lot is that, like, there are so many leaders, you know, in our community who go unrecognized or who will go unsupported. And eventually, you know, what typically happens is that they burn themselves into the ground Mm -hmm. and then they get disillusioned and then they stop. And so, like, to what Karin was saying earlier, like, how do we actually um intervene in that process and say like you know we value you we want you to continue doing what you do we see the potential in what you do and we want you to do it in community we want to do it together right
3: can i say something julia always said things that make me stop and think like the relationship piece is huge ebony because like right now i'm home but my mutual aid sister anna she's at my house and they are finishing up some repairs to my steps and I couldn't be there. And not only are they at my house, but they're also engaging my autistic son who's working on the project in solidarity with them. Then they will bring him here later. But then I just picked up my phone to text our other mutual aid sister to tell her, I can't go to dinner tonight because I'm barely like keeping my eyes open right now to be present to this podcast. So when you talk about the emotional well-being and being able to hold the person, I own my house, but my house is breaking down from the inside out because I don't know what all needs to be done, and I don't have enough money. Ebony, I don't know how the steps got fixed. I don't know where the money came from. The money that that, that mutual aid or the people with mutual aid told me to put to the side for the project, they ain't came and asked for it. No clue with how this stuff, like concrete. <laughs> I don't know how this should be getting done. But now they're at my now house. That right. was hard work. We
2: were like moving rocks and stuff. With like. my
3: son, <laughs> who is autistic. They are teaching him a skill, holding space for him so I can be present to what I need. And they're going to come around here whenever they get here with my son, who will then begin to work in his warehouse and learn a skill. Because how hard is it for special needs people to really get acclimated to the community. I mean, really get acclimated to the community. Whoever this Sarah Dalton is that's in mutual aid, I don't know what it was, but her and my son did like this yesterday. I don't know what they talked about. (laughs) Something about vampires and something and weddings. (laughs) And then this morning, we got a thousand dollars in our fundraiser. That's because we are present to each other and need, they know that I'm dealing with rejection. They know that I'm dealing with abandonment. But they pulled up, not just for me, but my son over there living the best life moving rocks right now. <laughs> Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Wow. I love that real life today example of how that is, how mutual aid is contributing in such a beneficial way way to you and your family's life and it's just like it, it sh- really shifts people from that scarcity mindset that wow I can just I can ask for something there's people a network of people here that are willing to support me and if they can't help me they can figure out who can and it just builds such a more robust community because then people aren't in lack But the abundance is really all around them. It's just being able to tap into it and knowing where to tap into. Yeah, so going back to the resources that you guys offer, which is obviously a multitude and seems to touch on every need that somebody could have to fulfill. Um, I know that you guys have a financial solidarity fund. Can you speak a bit about what that is?
3: From my understanding, um, because I was a recipient of the financial solidarity, um, it is a resource that is available to anyone who calls in and said that they have a financial need. When I was a recipient of it, we were awarding um, one-time stipends of up to fifteen hundred dollars a month. You didn't have to provide any type of identification. You didn't have to explain nothing. We trust you and we still have the type of system. Um, We're now just giving $500 because we have so many people that are in need and um, we're just processing those requests as fast as we can. All of the money that we get in um, pretty much is um, donated by individual people. And we just um, take care of their needs no matter what it is, but, uh, What's happening on the back end, Ebony, is that we're beginning to meet these people and do life. Like now they're starting to show up at the warehouse because we have a community space and we're starting to see it's not just really money that they need. They need access to make real change. So that's where you're now teaching people how to fish. The money is just an avenue to actually pull them in. And once they see that we are living human and alive, and more so going through the same thing as them, that's when the light bulb goes off and they plug in and we begin to do the critical work. That's when the coaching and all of those things begin to come in. Marcus, anything you want to add about economy solidarity?
0: So the Solidarity Fund is, again, that zero barrier access to meeting people's needs and empowering them to meet their own needs. You request for financial help, you get financial help. And you spend your finances on what you feel like would help. The main issue is that when people want this help, again, they don't even know how to how to frame, I need sustainable income. I need housing that doesn't clear out my bank account. I need to make enough money that I can withstand an emergency. They don't even know how to form that sentence. They don't even know how to ask for the actual help that they need. So the purpose of the solidarity fund in my eyes was to establish contact with the community in need, and then to see how we could empower them. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's really important because there's so many layers to why people would need that money, and it also is really not a degrading process of what it can be to ask for money. Um, Not asking someone's citizen status or why they need this money as if it's a plea, but really trusting that that's what they need at this moment (laughs) is really empowering. Um, And how long is the wait list currently
3: I think we have several hundred people on the wait list. I mean, at, at one point we had thousands. Like we were giving, we, we give away hundred money to hundreds of people every single day. And at one point we had thousands. I want to say we might have about between 500 and 700 max on the list, but that's like every day people were being added to the list. So right now, mutual aid is in heavy, heavy fundraising mode to try to be able to um, get more resources in so we can meet those needs. We have the Afghan community that is pouring in now. We have a lot of, of refugees here and people that just don't have the things that the state and Urban League and United Way, they don't have those credentials. So they come to us. And then sometimes they have to come back again and again and again. It takes time to, you know, get yourself sustained in a new country. So, we don't just give these people like, here's your money and you can go. They have to be sustained. So, it the 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 the, the list never gets really low ever and we are constantly always fundraising and then Marcus runs the unhoused community and he himself was unhoused just recently. So he can speak to what it takes to consistently get people out of poverty, shifting the mind. It's very expensive.
0: Indeed. So what we're talking about here is basically the same thing as acclimating a person from uh, high poverty or acclimating a person from being institutionalized. You got to give these people a place where they know that they are safe, they are loved, they are cared for, and you got to give these people time to acclimate. And that's just resources we do not generally have. Same thing when we do try to go meet an individual's need. It takes time for us to ascertain what this person's trauma may be, who may be the best coach for this person or where this person may be best useful. So we are in heavy fundraising mode and the winter is upon us. But if you know, like I know, this is going to be one of the best things smoking regardless. In terms of the unhoused services in the city of St. Louis, they're scant to say the least. Uh, They just opened up a warehouse that holds 47 people. And the only pathway that the city of St. Louis is allowing people to get to assisted sheltering is through their services. And there's just not enough beds to satiate the need.
1: What are your fundraising efforts to sustain the unhoused community and the financial fund?
3: Right now, we have our donor box opened up through St. Louis Mutual Aid uh, with a goal of $50,000. So that is me, Marcus, Julia, the boots on the ground, people out communicating with our social capital, with our networks, and then building out um, I am working with Julia and Marcus and others. Um, We're in heavy grant writing mode. I think we've gotten three grants back in, they were small. Um, We're going after a pretty big grant that has no cap. And me and my awesomeness while working in this warehouse um, have been working on a pitch and a budget that focuses all on um, healing the whole person and taking them from surviving to thriving. I didn't know we were gonna be working on this grant and it's focused all on advocacy and mental health. So we're hoping to use the information that I have worked on these last few months to go after that grant. Um, So I'm hoping that we would ask for at least $500,000 to facilitate what I'm trying to do is at least $100,000 a year. So we're going after those grants as well. Um, so those are the big things that I know that we're doing: heavy grant writing, and then really trying to get our uh, donor box fundraiser up and activated. So I am crisscrossing every social media platform. I'm emailing. I'm text messaging, um, and really trying to make people aware of the work that we are doing uh, and how critical it is to the uh, to the need that we're asking. And that's really all we can do and be optimistic. Um, Like yesterday, my son had a conversation with some lady named Sarah, and then she gave us $1,000 the next morning.
1: That's incredible. I wish y'all so much luck with all the fundraising. And I'm sure you're going to get that one with the no cap, because the fact that you were already preparing for it. And then this came about. It's like, okay, this is divine timing. Obviously, this is for me, for us.
3: For us. I just happen to have the vision to write it down. But you said the word. It is for us. And the fact that, like, I struggle with depression. I'll, I'll name that. Marcus struggles with some mental health issues. He names those. And the fact that we're transparent and we're working with therapists and counselors and trying to get better and whole while visioning and you can do that at mutual aid is a game changer and that is what draws people in so financial um uh, economy solidarity mutual aid they will sustain themselves because of the people that are invested in them we have no doubt.
1: I know that you guys also, in addition to all the amazing resources you provide, you have a COVID-19 resource directory on your website. Can you explain what that is?
3: I'm gonna defer to Marcus, so I don't make no mistakes, Marcus. So
0: the COVID-19 resource directory is our list of zero barrier places where you can get most of the most popular services, which would be your testing which would be your uh, actual vaccinations. And even just if you wanna get some information or if you want someone to talk to you, any of those sites will be listed on the uh, research center portion of the website.
1: Wow, that's actually incredibly helpful because even here in New York, I feel like it's so difficult to find a one-stop shop for testing centers. And I have to go to a new one every time. and especially free ones too. And um, yeah, so it's really helpful to have all of those resources in one place.
0: Now, I will add that I don't believe that all of them are free, but I think that most of them are free or sliding scale if they're listed on the directory.
1: Amazing. Okay. And were you a part of creating that directory?
0: So... Uh, The inception of some of the uh, ideas and access, I believe I helped with hopefully in the conversations that I had, but I didn't do the coding and I did not set up the directory, but that's kind of the way that we want to uh, bring about the transparency of what's offered and how easy it is to get from anything that is mutual aid going forward.
1: Yeah, I just asked because I'm wondering like if somebody wanted to start a COVID-19 directory, or their own community uh, maybe I don't know if you knew what the steps were to like crowdsource that information to put on the directory how, how did that group of people come about but if you don't that's totally fine too
0: I have no clue how they uh, came to the information
1: one of the things that people tend to get confused with with mutual aid is that it's charity Um, And I know that there was an initiative in Brooklyn that I'm connected with. They were using a vacant lot to do mutual aid work and one of the neighbors um, was upset about it. He was saying that this was degrading their property value and that they were bringing, um, I guess, a certain stigma to the neighborhood, like this is just a charity for impoverished people and weren't looking at it through the lens of mutual aid. So how do you guys make the distinction between mutual aid and charity for people that aren't familiar with it?
3: Oh, you like really pulling up in my business. Um, Charity is a word that I don't like because it doesn't give my people... The opportunity to invest in themselves. Um, it was a word that when I came into the mutual aid community, we had to wrestle with, and even the term codependence. I don't believe in codependence, I believe in interconnectedness. So, how I approach it is because there are a lot of people that have a problem with mutual aid and what we do. But the only way markets can come into his full power is if the resources that I have is accessible to him, and that I support him and I champion with him. I don't allow markets to be codependent. Like we can tell you about a story that just happened yesterday, but I do allow markets to stand on my shoulders and I give him access to everything that I need while helping him to propel forward. So St. Louis Mutual Aid, we're not a charity. We are an interconnected community that depends on each other, that needs each other to not only survive, but to thrive. And when given an opportunity and given the love and support that people need, they will leave their codependent behaviors behind them and understand and and, and get in solidarity with the interconnected movement of St. Louis Mutual Aid. And sometimes again, it takes time because people learn to be codependent after years. And when I come in contact with people that push back even after that, on what we're doing as a collective, and I hope this isn't the wrong way, there is no wrong way. I lead them damn people where they at. You can't fix stupid. Marcus?
0: You can't fix stupid. But I'll say the difference is charity is something that someone does to someone they look down upon, or charity is something that's given from someone that's above someone to someone else. And this is not that kind of movement. Mm. Those people had to use a vacant lot because they didn't own their own or because it wasn't feasible to serve those people in a better way. That's the difference. Charity has a big ball and they charge people per plate and they claim that they help that way. When it's mutual, you know these people. Carmen can talk to me in a way that a board of executives running a charity that I worked at, I would never let that person talk to me. That means that I probably couldn't do the kind of healing that I need to do around that person. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: Mm. Yes, definitely. Um, It's totally a power dynamic. And it's generally organizations or people in power, the whole idea of philanthropy and that they're helping people. Um, It's not for the greater good. And it's not creating uh, independence. Because like what you said, Carmen, earlier, you were saying instead of giving someone a fish or giving them fish, I'm going to teach them how to fish so that they can be self-sustainable. Whereas a charity, is, it's a model of dependency. The person will continuously keep coming back and feeling disempowered, um, which ends up giving this entity or person in power more power.
0: One of the main things I have to tell people is this. The most successful charity, gala Ball, is done every year. What was the charity for? What did you fix? How is it successful if you have to do it every year? That doesn't make sense to me.
3: Yes. But the system is set up to keep people in poverty so that they can continue to provide charity. St. Louis Mutual Aid is set up to empower people to take it all back and then continue to sustain your power. That's why the fundraisers and the things that we need, we're just patient. And it all comes because we are interconnected and we do not leave you where we found you.
1: Yep. It's the difference between growth and stagnation. (laughs) So what advice would you, you all give to someone who wants to start a mutual aid initiative in their community.
0: Would would you like to go first, T.T., or would you like me to go first? I'm
3: going to go first and then you're going to seal the deal because, you know, you got to seal it with the unhoused. It, it means nothing if that's not, you know, taken care of. So I'm going to pull up and then you um go ahead and land it. Like, sure. I would tell them to dream, Ebony, and dream their wildest dream and hold space to Hold space for every dream that everyone that they come in contact with has as well. I would tell them that we are all interconnected and this finger can't move without the the index finger, which can't move without the ring finger, without the baby finger, without the thumb. You need every member of the body to actually move forward with the dream. I would tell them to start with what they have and begin to have conversations with their neighbors, which is what I did. I would say, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. As long as it sounds like you're talking to yourself, know that somebody's listening, you are. And eventually someone's going to believe you. And when they believe you, then great things happen. Like you get to run the whole warehouse for St. Louis Mutual Aid. You get to give people programs that you've already written out because you dreamed it and you begin to see the manifestation. So I would tell them that it starts with them beginning to write it down and then activating that by stepping out and being courageous enough to talk to yourself until somebody else listens to you. And you can make it happen. Go ahead, Marcus.
0: Do it, do it now, do it today. Don't wait to get a bigger table. Don't wait to get a better food source. If you want to do a food giveaway and you have two cartons of milk on a rinky-dink table, go out and do it right now today. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't wait for it to be supported. If you're waiting for it to be supported, you're not going to be the one that started it at all. If you want to start something, you have to actually physically, feasibly go out there and start it. That's the advice I will give you. The second piece of advice I will give you is this. It's hard to change. Growth is even harder. If you want to start something, you've never done that before. You're going to grow into something different. Be ready for that, too. If you're not ready for those two things, don't think about it. Go assist somebody else that's already doing something if you have the need to give.
2: Hmm.
0: My goal is to end poverty. There's been thousands and thousands of people that told me it's not possible. It's not. I know five that said, Marcus, I believe you. And they've helped me to this point. That's what mutual aid is. That's the difference between a dream and a program or an idea. That's what I would tell people.
1: Yes. And I love the example you gave of just two milk cartons because we all have something to offer. Like I said before, everybody does. And whether it's like emotional support or babysitting teaching a new skill or offering an excess of material that you have we all have something to contribute to this ecosystem and I really appreciate what you guys just shared um which leads me into my next question which we talk a lot we talked a lot about during this interview is sustainability and uh i also said that there was a crisis before this and there will it will always be a need and a crisis in some realm so how can we ensure that all of these mutual aid initiatives that stemmed from the pandemic are sustained beyond the crisis
3: What I have offered to Mutual Aid and what I'm getting ready to talk to Julia about today is um, really, we've been doing a good job of really eliminating silos. I need to know who Ebony is. I need to know what Marcus is doing in the unhoused community. I need to know what's going on in the trans community. I need to know what Carmen is doing with the community hub of St. Louis Mutual Aid. All of these different pieces need to be held, not necessarily in the traditional nonprofit way, but we need to know who players are when they come into the network so that there's a space for them to continue to move them forward. And what that looks like is the relationship building. So because we now have 5822 Gravoids, which is our our warehouse, our, our space, now everyone can come into this space and begin to build. It is imperative that as we build relationships and build communities, we then bring in all of those different entities into one um, operation. Um, All of our work for the most part is now under one budget. um, And we are reimagining how we all can be interconnected and working together. And I think the heart of that is like, letting New Northside know that they will be supported and held in this space as they grow out the work because New Northside is doing something different than A Red Circle, who's doing something different than Keep Pushing Inc., who's doing something different than Marcus. But all of these different people do not know each other. One of my jobs, because I'm the plug, I'm the connector, is to bring all of these people together so that they can be held in one space And we don't lose the information. Yes, we're not the typical nonprofit. We're completely deconstructed. Got it. Love it. But we have to have at least a system where we know where each other are or who each other is so we can plug in no matter where we are. And that is something that we're going to lock down over the next year.
0: So when you talk about something being sustainable, you really just have to invest in the right people. There's individuals that have a dogged tenacity in your circle or in your field of interest who Mm were operating before the pandemic and they pivoted and adjusted and withstood it. Those are the individuals that you need to empower now. The way I explained it it to people, and I'm trying to find a way to explain it to different people because not everybody likes sports. Alvin Iverson is six foot even. The only thing special about him is he did not care that everyone else was bigger than him. 66 times a game, no matter who's in front of me, I'm going to try to go score. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how desperate, that's my job, that's what I'm going to do. Even when they said it was a pandemic, I did not quit. I did not give up. I might've cried a little bit, but I didn't give up. Those are the people, because sustainability is in them. You just have to support them to the point that they don't burn out every three years and quit. Mm, Yes. This reminds me of,
1: a podcast that I did recently with a community resource hub in Ridgewood, Queens. And they had been around since 2014. Um, but during the pandemic, they were actually able to move into a new, bigger space. And they shifted their work and started to do a lot more food distribution. And people in the community saw that they were meeting their needs. And they had this core group of people that even grew throughout the pandemic, because they already laid that foundation. Um, And so with contributions from the community who felt like this space was a true value to them, they were able to move into a new space and expand their offerings as a mutual aid resource. Um. so I think that is the key having space and having a group of people that are really invested in it,
0: that's it. and give them what they need it, it's going to be hard that's, that's all you have to do is find the right people and they're in your community and they've been in your community
1: mm-hmm. yes so the last question that I ask everyone is How do you
0: envision a changed world? Can I go first this time? Go, baby. A lot of me and my personality is built by living in a sick system. I live, I dream of a world where children aren't taught to be selfish, where no one stops and tells kids, hey, if you stop and help everybody, you'll fall behind. I dream of a world where a child can take a test and fail it and keep taking it until they comprehend, because isn't that why we're here to learn? I dream of a world where everybody can get up and go work and do something because they like to do it and they know it needs to be done and they know that their family will be provided for it. That's what we're working for in my eyes.
3: I dream of a changed world and what that would look like through a different lens because I am a Christian. I dream of a world where People operate out of love, just love. Leave your judgment, leave all of that and simply love. The only commission that matters is the last one. Love one another as I have loved you. He didn't say judge. He didn't say to take the words that's in the Bible, and sum up what you think they mean. The only thing we were supposed to do is stay interconnected as a family. Like, if we believe in God, if we believe in this thing, because I do, he he created human beings because he wanted a family. And if you believe in it like I do, all of these stories, but in the end, he still wanted his kids. And then when he sent Jesus to die and he came back, the only thing homie said after he blew the Holy Spirit on them was love one another as I have loved you. He didn't say do nothing else. So I imagine a world that's full of love of all people. I imagine a world where we understand what it is to be a Gentile and that we embrace the Gentile. I see a world where it is overflowing with milk and honey. And I mean it just like I said it, where everybody's needs are met. And we just love, because that's the only thing we know to do. Where we tell our stories, because you don't have no secrets. Somebody needs your story for their breakthrough. So I see a world where the stories are being told and men and women are becoming free. I didn't say people are jumping up and down and all of that. But the transparency of the story is building love. It's building relationship. It's building that connective tissue that you can speak into dry bones and they will get up and they will become operative. I see a world where we love each other.
1: oh wow y'all so beautiful marcus talking about the kids teaching children how to remain in that sharing mindset um because that's where it starts from really uh when we start to embody this individualism and then carmen acting out of love it's like that is what unites us all, that's what everybody wants is love. to be loved, to feel love, to express it. That's at our foundation as humans. So thank y'all so, 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 so much. This has been really an incredible conversation.
3: You're welcome. You're amazing yourself. You make it easy. I have a fear of black women but I'm pulling up for that thing. So, I mean, keep showing up like you do, Ebony. It's helping people.
0: I will say thank you for the opportunity. And um, I'd love to converse with you later on.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm on a mission to get these little known solutions out to as many people as possible. So please help me by sharing, leaving a like and a review. If you would like to stay in the loop about future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast or my newsletter at cooperativejournal.com.
0: Because I didn't say save the world, I said change the world, improve it, make it better than we find
2: it.